Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Hi, church. How are you? It's good to be with you this morning. It's been a little while um, since I've got to do this, and so uh, thank you so much to Tim and Christy and the rest of the team that allow me to keep doing this, um, to trust me with this. It means the world to me. Either that or you're not telling them not to let me back loud enough. So um, if you don't like it, um, I'm sorry. If you're visiting today, don't hold this church, um, don't hold it against them that I'm here. Um, come back and uh, experience the church with them. And because I get to do, you know, a lot of times whatever I want because you can't fire me. I don't work here. So, um, <laughs> so we're going to have a good time this morning. So, uh, this is uh, great. This church means uh, the world to me. I have the opportunity the past few, uh, this past couple weeks, I've spoke five times in four different places, and um, this was the f- final uh, of the last like ten days of speaking. And everything's been stressful. And I was like, can just two places have the same topic so I can, you know, repeat, reuse, recycle? You know what I'm saying? Um, but I haven't been able to, and everything's been kind of stressful. And even when I'm teaching, I'm like, oh, i got to think about it. The last place I had 25 minutes, that's it, and doing these things. And I'm, So it just feels like a fresh breath of air to come home and be with you and get to preach for 90 minutes. And it's super exciting. <laughs> so um, super excited to get to do that. No, this church means the world to me. And uh, it just it, it, I just can't tell you. I've Even though we haven't been here every Sunday, we have, I've been listening and watching with you. In fact, we were just here a couple weeks ago to celebrate 10 years of OKC Community, which was an incredible thing. I get, to come, I get to be here for that Sunday with my family. And, you know, I think of those early days in the Civic Center when we began meeting. And to get to preach to you today, I remember, you know, when you have a low Sunday, like when it rains, people are like, we can't go to church. It's raining outside, you know. Um, you have a low Sunday in a, in a room like this. It doesn't feel that bad. But, you know, when you have a low Sunday at Civic Center and there's like 25 of us in that giant room of mirrors and we're like, you know, I'm like, maybe we should all scoot together because uh, and 25 includes the band and me. So, like, um, it was, uh, but here's the thing. In all those times, when Tim first, we were working in a church together, uh, a, a different church, and he drove me down here, and we parked in the parking lot across the street. It was a grass field, and he told me about this vision the Lord had put on his heart. Um, I never doubted for a second that it would look like what it looks like this morning. Like, never a doubt. On those small Sundays in the Civic Center, I never doubted it would look like what it looks like here. When we moved uh, to the building over there and we met in service there, I never doubted it would look like it did today. And even now, I look across this room and I'm like, I'm like, can you believe it? And I'm like, yes, yes, I can. Because I believe in the leaders of this church, first of all, and I believe in their heart and their vision. And if you're visiting this church, can I just tell you, you're done. You don't need to go anywhere else. Like you found leaders that trust and seek the Lord and God's gonna see movement. But I, I didn't doubt because I knew the God that uh, Tim always talked to me about. And the God that he led me to serve. And, and this is exactly the vision that I, that I had. And so I'm just so thankful to be a part. This church has meant the world to us. It's like indoctrinated in who we are. Even the other day I was going to a Thunder game with my daughter. And I pressed the sign uh, to walk across to Paycom Center. And it's like, wait. And she goes, walk sign across 23rd Street. And I was like, um, <clears throat> and I was like, yeah. This church just means the world to us. And so I'm so, so thankful to be a part of this today, to get to talk to you in week two of our series of Abide. And when Tim started talking to me about what, what this series was going to be about, I thought he was kidding. Like, I kept waiting for, like, what's the joke? And because we just did a series called Fire in Our Hearts, right? 
and what an incredible series it was. And I got to watch and listen as we cast vision and talked about God stoking the fires and doing these things. I heard a pastor say one time, uh, you know, he's talking about Elijah and calling down fire from heaven. He's like, we don't have the power to call, call down heaven, but we can stack the wood when we show up to church. And I was like, that's right. We're going to stack the wood and we're going to ask the fire of God to come down and stir our hearts and send us out, right? And that's what I watched us do for 10 weeks. I watched uh, many of you give testimony after testimony in video or on stage, and I was just so inspired and stirred by your stories. And I was like, all right, Tim, where are we going next? Send us, let's go. Fire in our hearts, we're burning. Where are we going next? He's like, now we're going to sit. We're going to be still, and we're going to wait. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like so frustrated by it, but yet so unique and so beautiful that this is the way in which we did this. And he talked to you about the definition of abide, and this is what Tim gave you last week. He says, to dwell, to remain, to sit, to stay, to be inhabited. We talked about that last week. We looked at the idea of the verse, right? I am the vine and you are the branches. What it means to sit and wait with the Lord. We talked about proximity and all these things. And so we're going to talk about a lot more of those ideas, but we thought it would be a good idea that within this series of sitting and waiting and being still, if we gave you a couple of case studies of people maybe in the Bible who did this thing, rather than us talking about ideas, because this is a really important thing I think we miss in church. Oftentimes we talk about ideas and we think that's what they are, ideas. Abiding is not an idea, it's an action, right? Like this is something we're like, that's a great idea for me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. To abide is to actually do something. And so last week we introduced these ideas to you. So this morning I want to actually look at somebody who sat and waited and remained. Are you ready to go, church? You good? Let's pray and get after it. Lord Jesus, we welcome you into this room. God, and we pray the enemy out. He has no voice here. He doesn't get a vote with us. God, whatever he's using to distract us right now, we pray it out. He has no stronghold in this room. God, would you break the chains over our minds and our hearts that have us right now? Would you break them, God? Would you begin to stir the fire in our hearts? Would you begin to stir what you would have for us? Would you use your word today, God, to stir us up, to convict us, and to cause us to soar today, Lord God? That's our prayer. So, God, may your word speak mightily this morning, and may we just get out of the way and let you do what you do. I pray that we walk out of this room a little bit differently than the way we walked in. We ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to look at the person of Daniel today. So uh, you'll find that in the book of? Yeah, very good, yeah. There's some smart person out there who was well, actually, he's mentioned it. Nope, we're going to be in Daniel, you know what I mean? So I know the Bible's cool. Um, so anyways, now I love the story of Daniel, and I like this because here's what I like about telling stories that you already know. If you've been in church, you know the story, and I like telling stories that you already know because here's what we do. They seem mythical to us. Would you agree? They seem like this thing that happened, but didn't really happen. Like, I know the story, but, you know, just like I know, you know, Frozen happened too. Like, I know that story. I have children. I know the story of Frozen and the story of Daniel fits side by side with the stories that I've watched thousands of times. And if I hear Olaf one more time, I'm going to lose it. So, um, so it's important to understand, like, what was going on in the world in the time of Daniel? Like, it really happened. Like, Daniel really lived, right? At, at the time of Daniel, the Acropolis was being built in Athens. So we think, like, whoa, the Acropolis is a thing. Daniel was alive in that time. The Mayan civilization, thriving in South America. Millions of people in the time of 
Daniel. Aesop wrote his fables. So all those things you had to write in school, study about in school. Yeah, Aesop, that was at the time of Daniel. Confucius and Buddha, who are still being thought of today, they were alive at the time of Daniel. The Greek art scene began to explode. Phoenicians sailed around Africa. The Babylonian Empire was a big deal. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of those, you know, ancient wonders of the world. Daniel hung out in those things. Pretty cool to think about. It's actually happened. We're going to go to chapter 1 of Daniel, and there was an invasion, right? Babylon invaded Jerusalem. And what they wanted to do after they took out Jerusalem, they wanted to break Jerusalem of who they were. And their way of doing that was to seek out the best and the brightest, and we're going to take you from where you are, and we're going to fully indoctrinate you into who we want you to be. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to spend a lot of time in the Bible today, and so sometimes we think that's a time for us to check out. But let me tell you something. Me reading this book has way more power than anything that I say that comes out of my mouth. Okay? Anytime that we're in this book, that's where the power comes from, friends. I don't have the power of life and death, but Christ does, right? And that's the good news, which we find in the book. So I pray that as we dig into the Bible, that it speaks loudly today, that it captures us. Because it says every word in it is useful for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, right? So may it do that this morning as we read. Let's look at the power of Scripture, that God's actual word says this. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered uh, a name I can't pronounce well, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, looked a lot like the guy in front of you, showing aptitude uh, for every kind of learning, and that's where I'm out, Um, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So here's what they did. They took them from their homes. This was their plan. We're going to take the best and the brightest. We're going to take them fully away from their homes. We're going to teach them our language, our arts. We're going to make them eat our food. We're going to fully immerse them in Babylonian culture, and we'll break them of every tradition that they once had. We will get rid of every bit of Israel from them. We'll break it all. And this is how we'll do it. We'll put them in training for three years. Verse 6 says this. Among among these were uh, some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And uh, Azariah, Abednego. Um, And verse... uh, Eight says uh, this. So, oh, by the way, they didn't even want them to keep their names. That's how much they're going to break them. Like, we'll even give you a new identity. We're going to break you of this. Uh, very quickly, let's read the rest of the story. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official appointed over, Daniel and I, blah, 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 those friends, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance to that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice of food and wine to drink, and he gave them vegetables to eat instead. Daniel's like, test me, test me. I'm going to keep doing what we've always done. I'm going to keep eating what I should. I'm not going to 
bend right here and just test me. And what happened? They end up looking better. It's almost like we don't um, like the idea of vegetarianism, but, you know, surely it works because it works. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't mean I like it, but, you know, I mean, more power to you. More power to you. Um, I eat broccoli. I just tell myself, mm, this is delicious chocolate, and then I eat it. Um, verse 18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in. So after three years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked to them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. It's a lot of scripture. Babylon had a system of indoctrination that they were going to break you. Last week we talked about the difference of proximity and habitation, right? And visitation. What does it mean? Listen, those aren't new ideas. I would love to be like, we came up with this new idea that we're going to present you. Wrong. Tim didn't give you anything brand new. The Babylonians understood this. So we talked about how do you be close to the Father? You got to habitate with Him. You can't visit, right? You got to have proximity with God. The Babylonians knew this too. And they're like, how do I break that from you? I got to take that away from you. I got to take you away from where everything is. I got to take you away from proximity. In fact, I got to change your whole identity. And they were smart about it, okay? We look at their names as it was Daniel, and now he's named this. Mishael, and now he's Meshach. No, 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 no. This was, this was important and done on purpose. Listen to this. Daniel's name, the name Daniel, in Hebrew, it meant this. God is my judge. So what did they change his name to? Belshazzar, which means now you're the god Bel's prince. You think God's your judge? Not anymore. Now your name means Bel's prince. They did Hananiah. That name means beloved by God. So they said, your name will be Shadrach. You will now be illuminated by the sun. So instead of beloved by God, I'll make you illuminated by the sun. Uh, Mishael, it means who is as God. Meshach means who is like the goddess Shack. Azariah means the Lord is my help. I will serve and walk with God. And they gave his name Abednego, which means now you're the servant of Nego. They even changed their identities to mean the exact opposite of who they are. And we can be like, uh, well, this, you know, this isn't us. Well, can I tell you something? This is exactly what the world does to us, the followers of Jesus. It says, you think you're the daughter of a king? Actually, you're the daughter of your next paycheck. That's who you are. You think you're the son of a king? I'm going to make you a son of lust. That's who you are. You think you're a daughter of the king? I'm going to make you a daughter of how you feel about the reflection of your mirror. That's what I'm going to think you are. You think you're the, you think you're the son of a king? I'm going to make you the son of pride. That's what I'm going to make you. That's what the world does. It beats in us the opposite of everything who God is. That's what it does. And, it, and, and listen, the devil isn't big and loud and in your face. He's smart and sneaky and hiding in the light places of your life. He's waiting and he will deceive you and he will think it's so important that I gotta do this. And all of a sudden that thing becomes the most important thing in our life and God's nowhere to be found in it. He slowly moves us towards Babylon. He slowly gets us out of proximity and out of habitation with the things of God. That's the way he works. So how did Daniel do this? How did Daniel do this? Verse 8 is an incredible thing in chapter 1. Verse 8 says this. It says, but Daniel resolved. In the New American Standard Version, it said he purposed his heart. 
Daniel, before this happened, he purposed his heart. He set beforehand that he was going to remain. If you think that you're going to be ready, like, like I'll, I'll work on myself when I get to that problem, right? Like when that sin really starts to get in my face, then I'll get serious about it. You've already lost the war. You're not going to fight battle by battle. That's why we don't put on the armor of the Lord when the arrows in the air are in the air. You wake up and you put the armor of the Lord on. And if you don't, friends, if you've walked out of your house without putting it on, we're already behind. We're already behind. He purposed his heart. How did he do this? He went against culture. Babylon forced him away. And notice how Daniel did it. He politely asked. So many times we're so obnoxious with our faith. No wonder they can't hear us. Like, well, I'm not doing that because I'm a Christian. I can't do this. Like, no, 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 no. He was polite about it, right? He's like, like, he asked. He asked. It's like the simple things. And here's the thing. He knew it would cost him. Like, think of all the other people, four of them. Four of them said, we're not going to do this. Think of what they were called in that term, right? Like, like they're probably lost friends. I'm not hanging out with you. You're a bigot. You know what I mean? Like, no, like, we're out. We're out on this. They probably got talked bad about it. He understood that it was going to cost. But now this is not the only time that Babylon tried to break them, right? If you look at chapter 3, we have the famous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We know the story, right? The, they built this big tower. They wanted them to pray to it. They decided not to, so the king's like, I'm going to throw you in the furnace, which I'm like, pretty extreme, you know, penalty. So they throw him in a furnace, and what happens? The angel of the Lord comes down. The angel of the Lord's actually Jesus. This is time for another conversation. Um, sitting there, and they exit, and everything's incredible. So that happens, and then many years pass, and we get to Daniel chapter 6. Many years pass. So Daniel is taken into Babylon when he's 15 years old, okay? 15, 16 years old. That's when they're taken. Um, we fast forward, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego happens when they're in their 30s. And then we fast forward to Daniel chapter 6. And Daniel is in his old age. He's in his like mid to late 70s, maybe early 80s at this time. The kingdom has been taken over by the Persians. So he's been taken away from his home. And now he's under a second foreign ruler. And he is singled out in Daniel chapter 6. Because the new king comes in and he creates new rulers. And guess who one of the new rulers is? Daniel. Right? He's like, this guy's survived here. He's done really well. Find no faults in him. So he raises him up to like one of the top three rulers of the kingdom. And he gives him a lot of favor. And the other rulers and governors don't like Daniel. Because Daniel's getting all the favor. So in verse 4 of Daniel chapter 6, it says this. Yeah, we're moving. We're, we're good on time. Verse 4 says this. At this, the administrators and the satraps, which is another word for governors, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct. Uh, of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Sounds a lot like American politicians, would you agree? We're trying to find things wrong with them, but we just can't. Um, they couldn't. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Okay, this is the evidence of a life of someone who has been abiding with the Father. Would you agree? Like, what does it look like? This is what he is. He had no skeletons in his closet, right? So they had to make something up. Like, trust me, follow me around long enough, you'll be disappointed. Like, I, I promise you, I will be you will be disappointed. They knew they literally couldn't trap him into doing something wrong. They couldn't do it. So they had to make something up. 
They also knew that he would be faithful and consistent to his God because that's all he had done. So here's what they thought. I can't make you do wrong, so I'm going to make what you do wrong. Does that not like sound like the culture we live in today? Tim talked about the anti-abide culture that we talk about today. If I can't make you do wrong, then I'm going to make what you do wrong. The, the whole idea of sitting and waiting and being still, our culture says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep looking. You've got to keep driving. You've got to do this, right? It's the anti-abide culture. It's the idea of waiting on the Lord, leaning on God rather than looking secure. And this is, so this is the most, most important thing I'm going to talk to you about this morning is there is actually a way. The Bible has given us the answer of how to do what Daniel did. You think, how did Daniel, who didn't have a Bible, he didn't have a church, he didn't have a small group, he didn't have a podcast, he didn't have anything to lead, he didn't have the new Elevation album, you know, he wouldn't worship into that. How did he do it? How was he never swayed off the path? How did he never been, they couldn't find any fault in him. And you know, the scripture actually gives us the answer how we can do this as well. There's actually three things. The Bible is like, everyone's like, it's so complicated and difficult. Actually, the Bible is really spelled out in Proverbs. It says, if you do these three things, your path will literally never sway, never curve. I'll keep your path straight. Here they are. All you have to do is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge that God is God. And he says, I'll keep your path straight. Literally, I just gave you the answer of living a life that never sways from Jesus. And yet there are three things I know none of us will do. Right? Is it easy to trust in the Lord with all your heart? To trust God with literally everything that comes in front of you. I got a career decision to make. How many times do you call your friend before you pray about it? You know? How many times do you have a difficult day at work and you go to your spouse before you go to the Lord? You know, how many times do you vent to someone around you before taking it to God? Well, I don't know what I'm going to do here, and I don't know what I'm going to do here. We need to pray about this. No, you need to trust the Lord with it. How, that's why our path gets off all the time. That's the anti-abide, right, the, the culture we live in, the anti-abide culture says, you've got to trust in self-help, you've got to trust in this, you've got to figure this out. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to lean on your own understanding. Look within yourself for the answers, Right? you got to find the best version of Caleb. The best version of Caleb is the one who has removed as much as Caleb as possible, and God is working through. That's the best version of Caleb. But what we do is we begin to trust on our own understanding. Think we've got it figured out. I'm going to read more books and listen to more podcasts, and I'm going to figure more things, more self-help, get-rich-quick things. I'm going to dive into it, and I'm really going to figure it out. Can you look in the mirror and actually say, you know, maybe I'm wrong about something? But we can't do that. We look in the mirror and we try to become like that, that victim mentality that we get, right? That everyone else is wrong and that's why I'm feeling this way. Because we're leaning on our own understanding. That's why I say this almost every time I preach. I can't wait to get to heaven and find out everything I'm wrong about. It's most, right? If they couldn't recognize Jesus on the walk to Emmaus, I don't got Romans figured out. You know what I'm saying? Like I hope I get to learn forever. I'm going to lean not on my own understanding. And the last thing is, and in all your ways, acknowledge that God is God. And that, I think, is the most difficult thing of all of them, right? Because what we do is I'm going to acknowledge that God is God of this area of my life, and God is this area of my life, and God is this area of my life, but this part of my life, I'm still God of that part. You know what I mean? God's a big God of most of my life, but he's not God about the way I think and talk about my coworkers. I'm still God of that, right? 
God's a big part of my life, but I'm still God of my finances. I'll, con- I'll take care of money's mine, right? God's a big part of my God, but he's not going to be the God of my relationships. That's mine. So in all of our ways, we have to acknowledge that God is God, and that's why our paths sway so often. And that's why it's so difficult for us to sit and abide because we've gotten off path because we've trusted in other things. We've leaned on someone else's understanding. And in all of our ways, we've acknowledged that he's God of most of our life and not all of it. It's the opposite of be by culture. We're taught. If only it were that easy, right? Like, I, I would love to tell you that this is the easiest thing in the world. But listen to this. I, I, was, I was studying for this, and I found this quote the other day. It says this. The world may not know the details of the doctrine or the intimacies of worship with God, but they can tell a bad temper, selfishness, conceitedness, and dishonesty when they see it. Listen to this quote. The world is a very poor critic of my Christianity, but a very sufficient one of my conduct. That's what we think we're doing. This is like they're trying to catch them, trying to catch them. They're like, we can't catch Daniel in the act of doing something wrong, so we have to attack his faith. We have to attack his practices of God. And look, the world can attack my faith all at once. If you don't know my faith, you don't know it. Like, like I, I'm not affected by what you think of my relationship with God. That doesn't affect me. And it shouldn't affect you, church. You shouldn't be like, well, are they going to think this about me if I worship God? What we've done in our culture is we've done this thing where we think the more we act like, like, I can't do this, all these things that God tells me to do, because the world will think that I'm weird, and they'll put me in a box with these other crazies. So I do all this, so I act less like this. Can I say that in a different way? We should act less like Jesus to draw people towards him. That's insane. But we've convinced ourselves the culture has done its job to the church in this country. I was talking to my brother this week. I said, if Paul saw the church in America, we'd get a letter. (laughs) But that's the idea, right? We've convinced ourselves. I I heard a pastor say this, that we got to make holiness cool again. What we've done is we've confused holiness with legalism. See, legalism means I'm right and you're wrong. And we're like, we don't want to do that, we don't want to do that, and we shouldn't do that. Holiness isn't legalism. Holiness makes us right with the Father. So we should run towards holiness, church. That's what we do. We chase after it with all that we are, and we've got to get this out of our minds. I can't act like this or they'll be drawn away from me. Act more like Jesus. People will be drawn toward him. That's what we have to be as a church. We've got to act more like him. This is the story of Daniel. This is what it means to abide. It's the only way we get there is spending time because the world is a very good critic. They don't know what we're doing in here. They're not in here, but they see us when we walk out. And what you say matters. The things you talk about matters. What you watch matters. What you listen to matters. It's all affecting you. What comes in your ears takes root in your mind, takes root in your heart, and it becomes what comes out of your mouth. It matters, church. We run towards the Father. And the only way we do that is we sit and we abide. The other leaders go to Darius, the king, and they're like, king. Because they're like, we can't catch him, so we got to do this thing. Like, oh, king. They start, like, kissing up, right? Oh, king, how great you are. Oh, king, you're so great in all the land. Oh, king, no one should be worshipped than you. Oh, king, oh, great king. They keep saying this things over and over. Oh, great king. Oh, my king. Oh, great king. No one should be worshipped. So what we do, you should make a decree that for the next 30 days... Nobody should pray to anyone else other than you. And the king's like, that's like a great idea. You know, what if I came with you like, oh, oh, man, you're the greatest person I've ever seen. No one for the next 30 days should talk about anyone but you. He'd be like, I mean, 
if you want. That sounds great. <laughs> like, I'm not going to tell you no. <laughs> like, you know, maybe tweet about it too if you want. You know, whatever. That's what they do. They begin to plot. Verse 10 of chapter 6 says this. Now when, oh, so the king makes the decree. He's like, for 30 days, no one can do this. And they're like, and if they do, let's just throw them in a pit of lions. Which I don't know why they just go to such extremes first off. Like, like could you do a, a, a week in jail or cut off my hand? But they're like, no, let's just throw them in a big pit filled with lions. I mean, just, man, everyone who's like, nothing's ever been worse in America. I'm like, I got a book for you. Um, <laughs> Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Mm, Church, this is why we have a prayer room. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. You see, we would hear a decree like this and we would think it would be risky for us to partake in our prayer Daniel saw the opposite. He actually thought the safest thing for him to do is to keep on abiding with the Father. It was actually a lot riskier for Daniel to stop praying in his mind. See, it isn't hard to see why we are people pleasers, is it? Because it seems that if people have the power to hire and fire us, they have the the power to break our hearts, people have the power to talk bad about us, to make our lives generally miserable. But the power to obey God and to abide in him comes from a settled understanding that God is the one who is actually in control. God is the one in control, not people. People may take me. This is why Paul writes, what does he write? Hey, to live is Christ, but to die, whoo, that's gain. That's gain. This is understanding, friends, that everything costs. So you think it costs you the more we act like Jesus and drive people away. But can I tell you, not abiding in the Father costs way more. You think it costs to do this? Everything costs that you do. Everything, everything that you commit yourself to costs. Showing up on Sunday morning costs. You have other stuff you could get done. You got big things going on this weekend. I understand that. Church is a voluntary act, right? No one's required to be here. It costs you to be here. But spend a lot of time without a community of believers. See how much that costs you. Spend a lot of time without being challenged by the word. Getting up every morning and reading the book, starting your day, putting on the armor of God, that costs you. But it sure costs not to wear it. It costs your marriage, it costs your children, it costs your work, it costs your relationships, it costs your friendships, it costs your mental health. It costs, friends. Everything costs. Daniel thought stopping abiding was way too risky. And this is what's cool about the thing. I love this. Again, look at verse 10. It says this. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. Really important lines, just as he had done before. There was danger in both directions for Daniel. To pray less would be a compromise. And to pray more would have been pride. You see, some of us wear our Christianity in a prideful manner. We're like, you're going to tell me what to do? I'm going to pray even more. That's pride, friends. Like, I call it prideful humility. Like, I just want to do what God wants me to do. And I'm like, no, you want me to hear you saying that. That's what you want me to do. You know what I mean? Like, we all know that guy. You know what I'm saying? He didn't do anything different. That's the whole idea of abide. It's a continual thing that we just do. It's a thing that's reasonable. Not like It's not like I'm just going to never eat a carb ever again for the rest of my life. Like, no, you're not. I know a ton of people that have started 75 hard. I don't know anyone who's finished. 
This is abiding is something that we continually do. He prayed three times a day and he gave thanks. I got to finish. Verse 11. These men went as a group and found Daniel. What was he doing? Praying, asking God for help. So they went to the king and they spoke uh, with him about a royal decree. And they go to the king and he's like, hey, we caught Daniel. Um, uh, He was doing what he shouldn't do. And the king is greatly distressed because he loved Daniel. He cared about Daniel. And they're like, but you can't change your mind or everyone's going to think they can walk all over you. And he's like, you're right. So what do I have to do? They have to throw Daniel into the lion's den. Skip down to verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel... May your God, whom you serve continually. What's another word for that? Abide in. Who you serve continually, rescue you. Serve continually. What would that be like to be said of you, friends? A stone was brought. Listen to this. Man, the Bible's so cool. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. Um, Didn't we just celebrate that being busted a couple weeks ago? Right? Hey, when you uh, people skip the Old Testament because they can't find Jesus, he's all over it, friends. You know what I'm saying? A stone was rolled away because someone was going to be dead inside the lion's den. And uh, spoiler alert, it's rolled away and he's not, right? Uh, you know what I'm saying? We're going to we celebrate that again thousands of years. Later. Jesus is all over this book. He's all over the book. Get in the book, friends. Can I give you that? Get in the book. God wrote a book and most of his followers haven't read it yet. More people have, I, I just, it's unbelievable to me that we haven't read his book. That wasn't in my notes. Verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Keep going. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any attainment brought to him, and he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to, to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, listen to what the king who wants everyone to pray to him for 30 days. This is his response when someone abides in the Father. This is how he calls. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you, here it is again, serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions. And then Daniel does a very holy thing that we see over in Scripture. He's sarcastic. Remember? O king, O king, no one should pray to you. No one should pray to you. O king, you're so great in all the land, O king. Daniel's answer is, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And I imagine them hearing it being like, that's a good one. Daniel got us. It's a good line. The king was overjoyed and overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, because of this, we now get something. So this is what I want to do. I've talked to you about all these ideas of abide. And now I want to give you this unbelievable truth. What happens when you abide? What's the power of abiding in Jesus? What's the power of resting in his presence? To have close proximity to the Father. What could happen 
if we as a church did that? Because this seems like something that just affects your life. And can I tell you, you couldn't be more wrong. Because Daniel abided in the Father for a lifetime, the king sends this letter out. Verse 25 says this. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. I don't know if this is true. Maybe the Mayans got a letter. I don't know. But they did definitely in Greece. They're building the, the Acropolis in Athens. They got this letter. Here's what it says. May you prosper greatly. Meaning, hey, what's up? Verse 26. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. That's what went out to every person that was on the earth. A message declaring that our God is the God who does all these things. Because Daniel went to a room and prayed three times a day, a prayer that we don't know a single word of it. We don't know what he prayed. He just went to his room, got on his knees, and he prayed. And because of that, a letter was sent out to all the earth proclaiming the God of Daniel is the one true God. Can I tell you something about the God that, not, let's, let's remove ourselves from the story of Daniel. Can I tell you something, church, about the God that we're talking about that desires to sit with you, to wait with you? Can I tell you something about that God who desires you to abide with him? Can I tell you something? He is the living God. The God who wants to abide with you, he endures forever, church. His kingdom, listen, church, will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. The God who wants to sit with you, to meet with you right now in this moment, he rescues and he saves. And if you question that, Look at the person next to you and say, tell me about when you met Jesus. And they'll tell you, he saved me, friends. The enemy had me and he saved me. He saved me. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders and we've seen them happen in this very room and he's going to do them again. He says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in all who believe. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. Friends, he even rescued Daniel from the wrath of the lions. That's the God who wants to abide with you this morning. That's a case study of what it's like to be Daniel. So was it worth it to abide for all of those years for Daniel? What would you say? He would say, yeah, we're still talking about it today. We're talking about the greatness of God today. We see, we think we got to go do that's our mistake as followers of Jesus. We think we got to go do this and God's going to do this, and, but we got to understand that God's the one with power for change. He's the one that created this. I can post this, rant about this, do this. God's the only one that has the power to flip things upside down. And so why are we running toward the wrong things? We've got to be running to the cross. We've got to be running to our knees, get on our knees, and three times a day, four times, whatever it is, we've got to abide in the Father. We access the power of God by abiding him by sitting and waiting this is the power of discipline right it's the power of continually 
walking with God. Tim talked about it last week. We want to avoid a quick burn. All he did was pray. Words that we didn't even know he said. And this is what God did through him. So today, my prayer for you, and I'm going to pray this over you in a moment, but why is your path starting to curve? It's one of three things. Every one of us in the room. And here's the thing. I don't want you to like look at yourself inwardly and be like, this is where I'm terrible. This is where I fall short. I don't want that. See, as believers, what we do is we see the things in which we fall short and we get down on ourselves and we think, man, I can't believe I'm not trusting with God. I can't believe how terrible I am for not leaning on my own understanding. I've really, I've only acknowledged, I haven't made him God of this area of my life. I'm terrible. Can I tell you to flip that upside down and be like, oh my goodness, there's an area of my life I haven't given God yet. How exciting. When's the last time you gave God something and it got worse? Can I challenge you to look inwardly this morning? As I pray over you, maybe you would say, hey, Caleb, I, there's an area in my life I'm not trusting God with. Would you pray that I trust him? I'm leaning on my own understanding. I'm not leaning on the Lord. Would you pray for me? Would you, would you help me? There's an area of my life that I haven't given to him yet. I haven't acknowledged. Would you pray for me? In fact, let's do that right now. Let's bow our head. Every, no one's looking around this room. No one's looking around. And remember what I said, abiding is not an idea, it's an action. So I'm going to challenge you, every time I'm in front of you, church, I pray that we would walk out of this room differently than the way we walk in, or that we would make the hard choice to walk out the same way we walked in. Because this morning, I'm going to have a prayer team up front, and we want to pray with you. And I'm, I guarantee, I know their hearts, they'd stay all day, keep praying over you. But I want to pray over you right now. Maybe you're in this room and you would say, Caleb, my path has gotten curved, I've I've fallen away. It's, it's, here, here's why I know. It's because there's an area in my life I'm not trusting God with. Caleb, I want to trust with him. I want to sit with God. I want to abide with the Father. I want my path to be straight. There's an area in my life that I'm not trusting God in. If that's you this morning, no one looking around, would you just put your hand up and say, Caleb, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I see you. I see you. I see you. All around the room, I see you. I see you. Maybe you're in this room and you would say, you know, I keep looking at in, inward. I keep trying to find the answers within myself. I keep digging and wondering why I'm not getting it. And I keep reading this or doing this. I'm not seeking the Lord's wisdom. I'm leaning on my own understanding. I need to lean. I need the wisdom of God in my life. If that's you in this room, would you say, yeah, it's me. Would you pray for me? Can I pray for you? You would say, I need wisdom of God. I see you. I see you all around the room. You know, in the last one, talk about silver platter, friends. In all of your ways, acknowledge God. You would say, Caleb, there's an area in my life, and I know I've not given it to God yet. And I want to. I'm tired of carrying it around myself. I'm tired of trying to be Lord of something I know I'll never take care of. I'm tired of carrying the weight. I need the Father's presence and help. i got to give it to him. I can't keep doing it on my own. If that's you, would you say, Caleb, would you pray for me that I'm able to make him God of this area of my life? I see you. I see you all around the room. I see you. Thank you. Yes. God, I pray you would be God in that area. God, would you invade? Lord Jesus, I pray for those of us in this room. I thank you that you've given such firm instructions on how we abide in you and how you meet with us and take care of us, Father. It's as simple as trusting in you with all of our hearts, Jesus. 
leaning not on our own understanding, but seeking your wisdom. And God, in every way, we want to acknowledge that you are God. We understand that everything costs. Everything costs. So God, may we be a people that say, even though it costs, we want to sit and wait and meet with the Lord because it's riskier for us not to do that. It costs too much for us not to keep meeting with the Father. So God, would you help us to put our trust in you, to seek you for wisdom, and may you be the Lord of every area of our life as we sit and we wait and we abide in you, Jesus. And through that waiting and meeting with you, may the same power that raised Christ from the dead be at work in and through us. And may we see a city changed because of the power you've given us and because of the God that you are. I pray we walk out of this room differently than the way we walked in here. It's in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.